0: This episode of Civic Cocktail is supported by Comcast.
1: As students and teachers return to the classroom this fall, they face enormous challenges. I think teachers are feeling very, very overwhelmed. And I think
2: we continue to ask teachers to do more um, with less. We have the kids for a third of the time and they're in the community two thirds of the time. And so we keep on putting more and more pressure on what happens in that one third of the time. Coming up on Civic Cocktail three local leaders explore how to tackle these challenges.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Civic Cocktail. I'm your host, Monica Guzman. This month, school is back in session across Washington State after the most turbulent and disrupted years in our lifetimes. The pandemic is easing, we hope, we think, but in its wake are gaps in academic achievement and opportunity challenges with hiring and retaining teachers and staff, teacher strikes in Kent and Seattle, questions about safety and security, debates about curriculums, and calls for more support around anxiety and mental health in the classroom. With us tonight are Pavan Venkatakrishnan, student representative for Washington State Board of Education, Brooke Brown, Instructional Equity Specialist at the Franklin Pierce School District and our 2021 Washington State Teacher of the Year, and Dr. Joshua Garcia, Superintendent of Tacoma Public Schools. Among the questions we want to consider in our discussion tonight, are we ready for this academic year? What have the last couple years taught our educational leaders that they can apply to better educate our kids? and what is next for a strained public education system that we increasingly expect not just to teach our kids, but to care for them too. As a parent myself of a fifth grader and a second grader in Seattle Public Schools, I'm grateful and thrilled to be joined tonight by three people who are in the thick of it and can help shed light on these questions and more. Thank you all so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to talk to us. And a special welcome, too, to all the teachers, staff, students, and parents out there tuning in. So let's dig in, folks. Pavan, you've made it to your senior year, (laughs) which, uh, congrats, by the way. Thank you. And that's saying something. After everything that high school was and wasn't over the last couple of years, Years from now, when people meet you and say "You went to high school during the pandemic what was that like? what will you tell them
4: uh, it was difficult uh, and it's been a difficult experience for every student in the state and across the country uh, you know we are facing mental health challenges a lot of students are loneliness uh, you know struggling to complete assignments struggling with grading um, so it's been a difficult time. Uh, you know, 2020 was hard for all of us, but uh, students took it especially difficultly. Mm-hmm. So if I were you know, telling a person a few years from now what it's been like, I'd probably tell them just that. It was a lot of challenges, um, a lot of learnings, and hopefully learnings we can take forward to better our curriculums, uh, be better educators, be better administrators, and ultimately, uh, create an experience that's more rewarding for students in the future.
3: Yeah, that, that is the hope. Now you're one of two student representatives, uh, that's is that correct, right? correct, yeah. On the state Two representatives,
4: uh, along with uh, Eastern Washington representative as well.
3: Right. And so tell us a couple ways that you try to stay plugged in to the concerns of such a broad range of students, a million students.
4: Right. I mean, it, it's difficult because this is a diverse state. You've got, um, you know, a million kids. Uh, it, it, it is a huge population. So one of the ways you try to stay in contact, we talk to student groups all the time. Uh, we have regular meetings. Um, I'm particularly involved in the board's legislative agenda, how we engage with the state legislature. So, um, you know, I'm interfacing with student groups along with my counterpart um, on our legislative agenda, trying to get their feedback, trying to get the temperature, mm. see what they think on the issues. Um, and obviously, you know, I consume a lot of media, mm-hmm. maybe too much media. <laughs> uh, <Don't we> all? <laughs> yeah. So I, that's about how I stay plugged in.
3: All right. Thanks. Now, Brooke, these last couple of years, everyone's had their share of life lessons uh, and that includes teachers. So when you consider what makes a truly excellent teacher back in 2019 and what makes a truly excellent teacher in 2022, what's the difference?
1: Oh, well, that's a great question. I don't think there's a really big difference. I think excellent teachers in 2019 were teachers who centered their students' humanity, were teachers who validated all parts of um, students' identity and created places that are welcoming for all students to really nourish their identities, their belonging, and um, you know, definitely had high expectations and, and supported learning and um, just really thought about their students as more than just what they can produce or create, but mm. who they wanted to become. So I don't think that has I don't think that has changed.
3: Mm you were washington state teacher of the year last year um, Mm -hmm. after is it 14 15 years Mm -hmm. teaching and now you're helping prepare incoming teachers for this school year uh, at franklin pierce if those teachers take just one point of advice from you into their classrooms this coming year given the challenges uh, and opportunities ahead of them what do you want that to be
1: that's also a great question <laughs> and I would say there's two things and they're, they're words that I shared with our incoming staff and I had them write them down mm-hmm. and um, I said we you have to pencil in time um, for joy
2: mm-hmm.
1: and to pursue that relentlessly every mm-hmm. day and to model that for our students and rest mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean scrolling on our phone consuming social media <laughs> right mm-hmm. uh, even though that's fun, but what really helps us to, to fill up our buckets and to be rested because Mm -hmm. our students deserve to have educators that rest and we deserve to have rest. And so really thinking about how do we prioritize and be intentional to have those two things in our life. Mm
3: Josh, you've been superintendent of Tacoma Public Schools since 2021.
2: I started off on an easy year.
3: Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. Uh, you're serving around 28,000 students and over 2,000 teachers. And you were deputy superintendent in that district since 2012. So it's been a good long while. This is a challenging time. It's easy to come up with concerns. But I, I want to start just by asking you, what, what has been the most rewarding part of this job? What, what
2: keeps you going? I think watching my colleagues, and when I say my colleagues, the, we have 5,000 employees in Tacoma, but uh, we're very connected in Pierce County as well. Um, to see how they have rallied during this time, um, the bus drivers, serving meals, nutrition services, the amazing classroom teachers, to be selfless and put themselves in the most difficult spots where some other professions may have not mm-hmm. was truly inspiring. and. Uh, It really takes your breath away when, um, you know, in Tacoma, all the way through the pandemic, our most neediest students got face-to-face contact with Mm. our teachers, the support staff, the buildings were open, nutrition service folks served over a million meals. Everyone just leaned in. um, And they leaned in because the community needed them at a whole different level. And we lost titles uh, and we all became educators. And hmm. it just, it fills your bucket to hmm. see that people step up in the most time you need. And I'm just grateful to be a part of their team. Hmm.
3: So school superintendents are no strangers to challenge, uh, even when there isn't a global crisis going on. So how are you setting yourself and your team up for success in another tricky year?
2: So we talk a lot about the whole educator. Um, how do you stay safe, healthy, engaged, supported, hmm. and challenged? Uh, It's relentless work, Uh, we're all different, uh, especially as we get to adults. Uh, We have different needs, we're pulled in different directions. Mm -hmm. I think kids are like that as well, but you know, when uh, you're an adult, you might have a a family that you're also taking care of. And so we're really trying to practice empathy and understanding that uh, there's so much that happens outside the classroom for our educators, and like I said, these are a variety of folks, safety and security guards, uh, office managers, office support staff. And just trying to, to not only preach, but model, I think a little bit what Brooke said, is where do you find joy? Uh, how do you find rest? Um, educating folks about that, maybe screen time is not the best rest in certain situations (laughs) to unplug. I think there's a lot of noise out there and how do you stay grounded. Um, We're not perfect at it, uh, but we're committed to trying every day to get better and better. And Mm -hmm. so we're trying to find that joy in what we do and what we came into this profession, which is to serve kids, to help them in their journey. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're, 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 we're working hard at that.
3: So it takes a village. I mean, we have representatives here from different parts of the education system to, to do something like educate so many children. Um, we are gonna dive into a lot of concerns. I, I previewed some of them at the start of this show. I'd like each of you to just quickly list three concerns that are top of mind for folks in your position. Um, and let's start with, with Brooke. So what are the three big concerns for teachers as you see it
1: mm. this year? another great question Um, (laughs) I think one um, one concern would definitely be the this idea of learning loss and this focus of what um, we've lost Mm -hmm. and I think um, reframing that into really think about what our students have gained Mm -hmm. Um, and And
3: what's the concern with calling it a learning loss for you
1: yeah I think it's really this idea that that they lost all of these skills or lost all of these opportunities to learn Mm -hmm. um, when I think a lot of our students learned a lot of different things during the pandemic. And so really understanding, Mm -hmm. I have four children of my own and just thinking about um, the things that they learned being at home Mm -hmm. and um, really thinking about if we focus on just kind of coming back and solely focusing on academics and solely focusing Mm -hmm. on trying to make up for that loss, we miss that opportunity to center joy, to center mm-hmm. humanity, to center um, having fun. Mm-hmm. And I think um, when students feel like they belong, when students feel like they are welcomed in class, um, then the learning can progress. And so I think We'll come that's,
3: back to questions around academics okay. too. Do you have a, a couple other concerns, um, just quickly? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I know, I, we, we dug into that one, because why not? But, but yeah, anything else that comes um, up that's unrelated. I would say
1: mental health concerns, yeah. um, and I would also say, uh, so academics, mental health, and I would say wellness. Okay, Josh, sorry. how
2: about you? <laughs> no, I'd good. piggyback on Brooks. I mm-hmm. think um, not just for the, uh, the students, but for the adults. I think we became more aware Ooh. than ever um, around what mental health meant for us as adults and what our need was. And maybe the lack of I really appreciate I think the uh, the concern of how we're labeling this generation of students is a a deep concern for me and we can talk more about that at a different time Um, and then I just I worry about everything else that's going on in society that is impacting our kids that is channeled through the the school of education or the system of education that we're not really addressing as a society whether that's long-term health care or Crime or homelessness—all these other impacts that I think are being captured in a manner outside of school, but our kids are experiencing on a daily basis, and we're not, as a community, wrestling through that impact.
3: Yeah, it's striking me already, kind of a theme—a little bit about some of the boundaries maybe that we used to have have really kind of fallen away, right? And everything's sort of.
2: I think the boundaries were maybe not uh, spoken in public, Mm -hmm. but as educators and students, they were always real. Um, we always saw them and now I think the rest of the community is maybe experiencing what that looks like. Right. More exposure.
3: Pavin, how about you?
2: Um,
4: <clears throat> I would begin by talking about, you know, where students are at academically versus where they were two years ago. Um, I think that's top of mind for most students. Uh, I was reading some research. Most Americans read it at what? A fifth grade level generally. Um, so to imagine that we have a generation of students who might be behind that level is really concerning, and that's my peer set. Um, So obviously looking at ways that we can recoup, uh, get students back to where they need to be, prepare for the workforce, The next I'd say is obviously mental health challenges. Students have been alone, um, you know, alone in their rooms online doing school, maybe they've come back. And you
3: know firsthand what that was like. Yeah,
4: or uh, you know, coming back to school um, uh, and and being different kids, being changed kids, having their development impacted in ways maybe they don't even know. And the last I would say is a curriculum and a school experience that are responsive to what kids are actually interested in, uh, you know, getting ready for careers, but more importantly making sure that we're teaching history, that we're teaching all sorts of other subjects um, the way they actually happen, the way they need to be taught in a way that's uh, preparatory uh, for the future. We will definitely come go.
3: back to that for sure. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, let's move into the first topic area that I think, I think you all mentioned. A lot of the conversation around education is turning to mental health. Our students of all ages are caring a lot these days, as are adults, as you -hmm. you mentioned, right? So give us specifics. Uh, Brooke, where have you seen all of this in your students? Tell us the stories, and and then how does it get in the way?
1: Yeah, I was, um, I think there was this idea that we were gonna come back to school different. I think there was a lot of really great intention um, and then I think when we came back to the buildings, um, a lot of things just kind of got back to, quote, normal. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think there was a lot of COVID restrictions and a lot of things that were happening. And
3: when you say um, that they got back to normal, what, what do you mean?
1: I think just the way that... We were doing school i think there was this idea that this was an opportunity to rethink the way that we were doing things and so i think a lot of people came back with these really great beautiful ideas and had great intentions and then once they got back into the building sort of fell back into those um, similar patterns which is what as humans we do when things are difficult Um, and i think you know, when I spoke about joy earlier, I remember um, going into a lunchroom and seeing kids and I'm used to going into the lunchroom at the high school and there's kids being loud and having conversations and, you know, eating lunch and all this stuff. And I went in and kids are six feet apart on sitting in a chair with a lunch on their lap and they can't talk to each other and they have 15 minutes to eat. And then the bell will ring and then they have to shuffle out and a new group shuffles in and i asked a student you know we were talking about sort of what what are the things that were different and he said everything that i looked forward to about school doesn't exist anymore and so i think um, when we're thinking about what do we really want students to do how can we support students i think it's really thinking about what are the things that get students up in the morning what are the things that get them excited about coming to school And we need to do more of that Mm -hmm. within COVID restrictions of course Um, and we can't do that without asking them and so I think a big part of that is really asking students and giving them a seat at the table and having those conversations Mm -hmm. so teachers
3: checking in really directly one-on-one absolutely Josh earlier you told me what many people in education are, are saying that schools need more mental health support but there just aren't enough resources to meet the need at least not now so if you would picture one of your Tacoma schools having enough support, what would that actually look like? Is that in terms of, you know, a number of staffers per, you know, number of students? What does it look like and how would it happen?
2: So I think even the way that we're framing that is, is that uh, all the support has to go in that same period of time. So What do we, you mean by period of time? So we have, uh, I tell our community, we have the, the kids for a third of the time and they're in the community two-thirds of the time. And so we keep on putting more and more pressure on what happens in that one third of the time. I would say that what society needs. And so I'm gonna keep on that is that our kids and our staff and our community have mental health needs. If we're gonna continue to put all that back onto the schools, we're gonna surely fail.
3: This is a good segue. Schools are bearing the burden of caring for our kids in more ways than one. Uh, i want to talk about lunches as an example of that after two years free lunches for every student regardless of whether their families could afford them ended this year across the state replaced by a process where nearly 1200 schools more than double than before the pandemic are likely to provide free lunches for all their students is that a smarter use of district funds given the expense or should districts find a way to feed all our kids going forward and close this gap for good and Pavan, I know you've taken a look at this at the state level and just on legislation, but what's your position on this? What's your take?
4: Um, I think it's a travesty that the, uh, you know, the the money that was coming from the feds is expired. Um, I don't see a reason why any student should have an outstanding balance uh, in a school cafeteria. We're already providing them a free public education. Um, It's the job of, uh, you know, school, it's the job of districts, it's the job of our government to make sure that no kid in the school goes hungry um, so you know my position is that, that you know uh, those waivers should continue and you know it's I think it's an unfair proposition to say that you know school districts, individual school districts, individual schools should just take on this burden. Um, what it really means is that policymakers um, in D.C. got have to get together and make sure this extension continues. I mean I can tell you one thing, uh, the amount of kids I saw in my school cafeteria eating because it was free, it looked like a, it looked like a lot more than you know before the pandemic. Uh, so, I, I would really hope that folks get together and make sure that, that money continues and that school kids can eat and they aren't hungry.
3: So, Josh, you've seen district budgets pulled in so many directions. What do you think? Does it, and does it make sense for schools to be taking this service on in this way? You're talking about broader society.
2: So I can only speak for our community what we've decided to do is we've decided to prioritize this and think differently. So we've applied for some additional grants and supports. Uh, we've changed our practices of how we're creating uh, free and reduced lunch applications. And we're going to continue forward with both breakfast and lunch. And then we're also working with our partners to provide snacks after school for our kids. Um, we've, you know, There's a lot of research on you know, a, a healthy brain is a fed brain. Um, we have to be more innovative and creative with the food supply chain. Uh, it's been a, a problematic for us. Uh, we're going to have to change our practices to get better, but we're committed to mm-hmm. ensuring that no kid comes to school and doesn't have that opportunity. And there's all kinds of good reasons why th- they may come and not have a meal, um, but let's not have that be a shame game. Uh, let's just move forward and uh, let's feed them and, and we'll keep them going.
1: Mm-hmm. Brooke, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I just, I agree. And and I see the tension of of school district budgets. And so I think, but I do think it's really important that um, we support our students and uh, make sure that they're being nourished. I also think it's important to think about ways to support families on the weekends and thinking about other wraparound services to support um, their needs on the weekends as Mm. well. So you mean meals on the weekends? Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we send home backpacks with our students that need them and um, I just the need for that has grown um, since COVID and so I think um, this is a start and just thinking about what are other ways that we can partner with folks in our community to continue to serve our, our families
3: so safety in schools is a growing concern there's a rise in school shootings across the country that we've all seen Josh you you described the difference between safety and security can you reiterate Uh, What you told us and and describe the specific measures that Tacoma schools are taking to improve
2: security? Yeah, I don't know if what I shared at that time, but Mm -hmm. I can talk to you that what Mm -hmm. we've learned is is that um, Safety is so much a personal feeling Mm -hmm. and you know when we're having kids in a developmental process It's not a fixed moment that says I am safe and therefore I'm safe forever Um, It can be my mental health safety, it can be what's going on in my community, what's going on in my home, or it can be like, I'm afraid to say something because of social media, and I'm going to be filmed at the wrong time and blasted amongst my peers, and so we're really having to work on what does that safety look like for self, and then for the classroom and the social community, and, and trying to use that as a learning experience through restorative circles, value circles, through conversations around, so what does this mean and what was my impact? What
3: is a restorative circle? Yeah, that's a great
2: question, right? So these are practices that we've learned around how do you build community intentionally? So what are our values of this learning community that we're in both as a school, but as a classroom, or even as a small group? And how do we have conversations in a facilitated, trained manner to bring, what are our shared values? in a world that is oftentimes divided by you either, if you're not all on the same page on this, you're somehow at fault. And we're trying to build that. And restorative is we know there's gonna be mistakes made. I make mistakes, I say things, and the intent versus my impact is not the same. I could have all the positive intent, but the impact that I had on the other person. And so how do we have a restorative conversation that's facilitated to say, it's okay, that wasn't my intent, but I recognize my impact was not matched. And really talking about security and the infrastructure of security.
3: So if safety is a, a personal, it's almost subjective to the person at any given moment, what, what is security? to you?
2: Security is uh, all the wonderful things that our community supports. And how do you have a, a central location that when you come into the schools, that there is a checkpoint? How are you verifying who's coming into the schools from your volunteers and your mentors? What are the best evidence-based practices around um, social media, uh, chat rooms that you're facilitating a variety of supports. Um, How are you installing cameras to be a safe place but not a place that is ideally catching a student doing something that may be subjective but Uh, Exterior cameras in there. How are we greeting visitors that are coming in? Um, How are we having to make sure that the doors are lockable Mm -hmm. in all different places? I think there's some uh, real work that needs to be done around communities and schools and capital budgets. And we're very fortunate that our community has stepped up to say, yes, we want these infrastructure upgrades. Um, What is your partnership with your local police department? What does that mean both from a safety? How do I feel about police? Some of that needs to be restorative as well as how do we make sure that we recognize that police staff are putting their lives at stake every day. And then also the security of we try to use our buildings 24, 7, 365 days a year. So how do we allow the community to come in and still make sure that our kids are safe in these designated times.
3: Right, keep those open and shared spaces, but also secure. Uh, Pavan, I'm really curious, these conversations around safety and security for students, there's a lot of conversation around adults, right, from adults. But how how has it, how have you received all those conversations as a student?
4: Um, you know, it, it, it is a issue that I can tell you is very present in the minds of students when you see, you know, elementary schoolers, you know, you're talking about safety. I, I my mind sprints to, you know, Kids getting mowed down in classrooms. Uh, five, you know, five-year-old kids. It's uh, it's appalling. At the same time, you know, we need to have a balanced national, state, local conversation um, that is holistic. Um, so you know, balancing people's constitutional rights with uh, you know kids not being shot in the head in their classroom. Uh, and in addition, I mean, you need to have a community that is built towards ensuring, you know, that, you know, uh, a, a person who might have these inclinations never gets to that point, that they're, you know, they get counseling at some point in, or maybe a family member notices something. Um, I think, you know, talking about nationally, the, the recent, you know, bipartisan uh, gun common sense bill sets kind of the right standard in, in my view. I mean, I know how many students in the state, you know, they, they grow up around guns, you know, their parents own guns, it's for, you know, it's, um, sports, hunting, um, so nothing but respect for that proud, uh, you know, that proud lineage, but um, we've got to have a balanced conversation that incorporates that perspective and also um, ensuring that kids are safe in their classroom.
2: I'm ready to vote for Bob, and how about
0: you?
3: There you go, you already got support.
0: We'll be back with more after this message. Comcast strongly supports civic engagement and is proud to sponsor Civic Cocktail. Everyone deserves to participate in the conversation, and Comcast plays an important role in helping people stay connected. For 10 years, Comcast has supported digital equity for all through its Internet Essentials program. To learn more about Comcast's commitment to advancing connections, visit internetessentials.com.
3: So moving on to something we brought up earlier, throughout the pandemic, we assured each other that the important thing was taking care of our kids at such a hard time for all of us and not worry too much about academics, about these metrics. A recent article in the New York Times gave some grim news on this, saying that for the first time since tracking began in the 70s, nine-year-olds lost ground in math, and scores in reading fell by the largest margin in more than 30 years. The decline spanned almost all races and income levels, uh, though students of color fared worse. Brooke, is it time to worry about academics
1: yet? another great question (laughs) i think um, academics of course are important as we're in um, education that's what we're about Um, i do think though um, we can't look at solely at the negative i think it's really important to think when i um, i'm not currently in the classroom and talking to educators last year um, yes students were behind and the growth they made from the beginning of the year last year to the end of the year was more growth than they had seen the previous years in their students. So, even though they may be, quote, behind, they're making growth. And so, I think we have to look at it differently. And I think educators really understand um, that their job is to teach the students in their classroom. And so, really thinking about um, how are we universally designing curriculum? How are we making sure that um, our curriculum is culturally responsive and, and providing students the opportunity to feel seen in in what they're doing And I think the more that teachers can focus on building those relationships and creating that sense of belonging will then um, Will add to their academic achievement and mm-hmm. so um, yes, I think it's something that we continue to have high expectations for um, But I don't think it's the only thing to be focusing on right now.
2: I want to add a little bit and I want to represent our teaching colleagues out there. I didn't, I mean, I was in a lot of Zoom, Uh, I did a lot of substituting. Uh, There were a lot of people that were working very hard and were not just sitting back and saying, oh, my gosh, well, this is just what it is. I think there are a lot of things that need to be at play here is those guidelines and requirements, everything from how many days you were required to be out of school played such a significant role. How many kids weren't able to test during those times? And so I don't know all the research of New York and the New York Times. Um, I think Brooke captured it well to say is, I think kids learn differently. Um, I don't think all of our standardized tests captured all of that learning. Um, I wasn't aware of the state saying that you didn't have to meet certain graduation requirements in order to graduate. I think they gave some flexibility and waivers mm-hmm. to do it differently in some places. But this generation of kids has out of any other generation, has the highest level of standards. And so I think that we also have to recognize when we say they're somehow behind, the expectations for them are so much higher than anybody else's. And the whole world paused. So behind of who?
3: Oh, interesting. Like relative to what? To, yeah, exactly. To reality, right, like it, well. And <laughs>
2: kids are thriving in these environments the best they can. And we've got to keep on meeting them where they are that date, but I think we love to label it as some kind of a deficit. We had kids doing entrepreneurial classes, starting businesses in different ways, writing different ways.
3: But let me let me push back on that a bit. Sure. I mean, being a parent, and you know, a couple of you are as well. I mean, you're saying to reframe this idea of a lost year, uh, but if the data are showing us that. In some metrics we are falling behind. Shouldn't that be something we take into account? And Pavan, you had mentioned that this was a concern of yours and of many students. So I want to hear your take too.
4: Um you know, I appreciate all the uh talk on, on reframing it. To me, it's like uh kids have gotta be prepared because once they're out of the arms of the schools, I mean they're out in the world. If we have kids who are reading it, you know, fourth grade level, fifth grade level, they're twenty-five years old, it's frightening. Um uh, and I think we can take a forward-looking approach by saying, you know, how do we modify um, the way that we graduate students, not to reduce rigor, but to make sure that you're as responsive as possible uh, to student interests. Um, So like, you know, for example, if a student is working, you know, on the side in high school and working 500 hours a year, how do we as an education system reward that? So just as an example, but going back to looking back, I mean, it is hard to blame any educator, any administrator, and any teacher, for <laughs> making the choices that they, you know, did in you know snap judgments because we were dealing with a, you know, a pandemic. Nobody had ever dealt with that before. But at the same time, you know, now that we've got the hindsight, um, I see, you know, a lot of kids who have fallen behind, um, and that is, it. It is really frightening because ultimately, the kids that we churn out today are the ones who represent this country, um, the ones who are going to be our our nations, you know, the next vaccine developers, the next, you know, rocket scientists. If we want to compete globally, then we've got to have, you know, kids who are as educated as possible. So this data is, um, I read it, and it's uh, pretty shocking.
3: Segwaying from there, Josh, you know, you've told us that you, you like to work on a community-centered holistic approach uh, to address student and teacher needs and issues, including academics. So can you describe the whole child and whole teacher programs uh, and the successes you've had with those strategies and maybe specifically the whole child program?
2: So the whole child is not a program, but it's a, a more of a lens of how we build pro- several programs. So how do we ensure that students are safe, engaged, supported, healthy, and challenged? So challenged, how are, we, how are we developing multiple threads to ensure that kids are able to challenge themselves up?
3: And what are those threads? Yeah,
2: so how many kids are taking an AP, an IB, a college in the high school, or a Running Start to prove that they are truly college ready? How many students are earning an industrial certification to prove that they are career ready? Not some pathway, but actually an industrial certification to prove that they are there. Um, how our family is able to say, my child doesn't belong in third grade, what is the program or practice to allow them to go to fourth grade in those approaches? Um, engaged. So how many kids are engaged in extracurricular activities, clubs, activities, sports. Uh, we saw the largest participation in middle school athletics than we ever had last year. Kids were dying to come back and get engaged in those things because as a community, we took them away. Um, the beyond the bell program is a classic example of that so how do we the
3: after school yep
2: so how do kids have access to the arts stem and recreation in a consistent place right at their school provided by expertise in the community so those are a few examples of how are we're doing it how are they staying healthy okay are we providing food for them are we partnering with outside agencies to provide advanced mental health supports what is our approach to teaching explicit curriculum of here's social awareness here's Mm self-awareness How are we allowing kids to measure their moods in real time? And so we use zones of regulation. And so it's, it's in a belief system that says this is our responsibility, and then we all have to work and develop business plans and supports to And
3: that. how do you know it's working? What tells you that it's working? What do you track?
2: We have uh, 37 different indicators, benchmarks in the Tacoma Public Schools. Uh, we call it the whole child accountability system. So we actually measure, and you can go on our website and see wh- where we are in those. And have we hit everybody and every day? No, we haven't. And so, um, you know, we go back to that last point and we say nine-year-olds reading. Well, developmentally reading, not everybody is reading at the same level at the same time at nine-year-olds. So yes, some of our kids are beyond that, but they have to demonstrate high school level reading in order to graduate from high school in the state of Washington. I don't know about every other state. So you can't graduate without an indicator that you have demonstrated that unless you have an individual education plan that says I have a disability and I don't have to use that same measure. And so we, we look at data regularly, and we're measuring that. Our graduation rates would be another example.
3: Yep. So Brooke, uh, again going back to going back to the theme that's really emerging here, teachers teachers in particular have what seems like an outsized responsibility and a lot of pressure today to help students succeed academically. Uh, and Pavan, you know, yeah, <laughs> t- talked very well to that, but also to develop personally um how specifically can teachers address academic challenges to get students caught up caught up and i know that yeah you'd push back on that but from the remote learning years and at the same time address their personal growth you were talking about checking in one-on-one right Mm -hmm. bring us into the classroom what what is a teacher to do specifically in that classroom
1: yeah i think what we've really figured out is doing more of what necessarily wasn't working isn't the way forward and so I think it's what can we how can we think about um, different activities uh, to get kids kind of quote unquote caught up in different ways and one of those ways is really building those solid relationships and so for me in my classroom um, when students come in I always use um, a like a check-in scale, 1 to 10, human blob, Mm -hmm. scale of 1 to llama, how you doing? (laughs) Wait, it's Uh, human
3: blob to... Yeah,
1: (laughs) so it's like a human blob, like this blob tree, or there's like llama, 1 through 9 llamas, like which llama are you today? Um, And so really thinking about, um, you know, first of all, like how are you, and just checking in on how you are, and and that's a great way as a teacher just to connect um, with you on a human level. And, you know, there's some kids that are, um, that are twos every day, and, and that's okay. And, and you what do you know do
3: as a teacher when someone comes in and, and, and consistently says, I'm a, I'm a blob,
1: I'm, I'm a two? Yeah. What do you do? I'm able to have that conversation with them and sort of check in and see what's going on. And But if you have a kid that's um, higher and then is a two that day, that also is a way for you to connect and, and to see what's going on. And then I'll have a check-in question for us to get to know one another. And and then spend some time doing some mindful breathing, and we recite in Lakesh together. And so, really thinking about all of those things happen before we start um, engaging in the curriculum for the day. And so, really thinking about I want my students to understand that um, their well being matters um, before we even get to the content. What
3: do you see in the students that tells you that making the space and time for that is really working? Give they, us, yeah, they tell me. That,
1: yeah. yeah, they say, you know, Miss Brown, you're. One of the first teachers that i feel like cares about how i'm doing so when they um, walk in the door i'm really silly and i'm always like you're entering the learning zone (laughs) and so like we're here to learn and we talk about it we're really transparent and so we're doing really difficult things i tell them like okay this is our like brain jog today, we're going to take our brains and put them on a treadmill and we're going to do really hard things in this class, but know that you never have to do them alone. We're always going to do them together. And so really just um, building that practice in of trying, of working hard and really building those skills in them um, and having those those high expectations and I tell them the story every year at the beginning of the butterfly. And there's a story, I don't know who said it to give credit mm-hmm. to, but this idea that, um, this butterfly um, this this man saw this butterfly struggling to get out of the cocoon and there's this great science explanation i was an english and ethnic studies teacher that there's a process that they have to go through and so this guy cut the cocoon open and the butterfly got out but then was never able to fly and so i tell them that story at the beginning and just always come back to that as like i'm never going to cut that cocoon open for you i'm going to be here as you struggle but we're always going to struggle together and so It's building those relationships, but also that support for them to know that, yes, this is hard. We're going to name it. This is hard. This is challenging. This is tough work. And we're going to do this together. And then that feeling of accomplishment that um, when they walk across that stage at graduation and tell me, like, I didn't think I was going to do it or, you know, you pushed me so hard. But that feeling of accomplishment that they have in themselves is, I think, what's the most Mm -hmm. important.
3: So, Pavan, I'm I'm curious, what sorts of things have you seen from your teachers in the last couple of years that you think were really hitting the nail on the head between kind of personal growth, like, this is all crazy time, but also, yeah, we got to push y'all to do your best?
4: Uh, I mean, I, you know, I I think all of my teachers in their own way have uh, really adapted to this environment uh, and pushed us to do our best. Uh, I mean, even when I was super uncomfortable, especially for me as a student, And so you know, I'm 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 starting school now. So I'm seeing like you know students or teachers who are you know beginning their classrooms with you know that opening PowerPoint or that opening explanation of you know the class procedures and how much it's changed versus 2019, 2020. They're talking a lot more about like you know teachers and students being in this together and uh, talking about mental health and talking about personal growth and um, so that really occurs to me. Teachers are doing a hell of a job and they're, you know, adapting to this environment just as we are.
3: So let's move uh, to another, another aspect of teachers that's gotten, that's gotten tough. It's gotten tough to hire and retain teachers and staff in many districts and, and there have been consequences. We've seen dropped school days in some schools for low staffing, contract negotiation struggles uh, that have led to teacher strikes and, and school start delays. Brooke, what are you hearing specifically from teachers on this? Is teaching a harder sell under the circumstances now than it used to be? What's gonna turn this around?
1: Um, Yeah, I think when we started, when the pandemic started in 2020, there was this really um, deep love and appreciation for educators as folks had to educate their own children at home. And then I think um, that question earlier that you talked about is just all of the pressure that is now coming into that one third of the day. Um, I think teachers are feeling very, very overwhelmed. And I think we continue to ask teachers to do more um, with less. And I think um, it's been really interesting to be a part of the teacher of the year community across our nation and to see how it has impacted educators across um, the country and to see um, how many have, award-winning educators also have left
3: so in those conversations what what are people saying is the solution what what needs to be done even if maybe it's proving difficult like what what is it
1: i think it's um it's time i think it's respect i think it's a seat at the table i think it's the professionalism to do what um kids need i think it's it's a it's a lot of different things i think for some districts it's pay i think It has to do um, with um, just a a whole host of things.
3: So moving to uh, another concern, Pavan, I think you brought up, our society is changing very fast. uh, And so are ideas about how best to teach our kids about issues around things like race and gender, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pavan, you're coming of age in an interesting time, (laughs) to say the least. How, How do you hear the concerns of parents who in good faith would critique schools teaching around race, gender, sexuality, or any other topic under what's become a very political debate?
4: Well, you know, I I would say first, parents having concerns about the curriculum is awesome. That's how you create a community that's responsive. When parents are engaged in the curriculum, just as much as educators are, just as much as students are. Um, What I would say is, uh, when you bring politics into the classroom, when you create a political debate over teaching history, uh, the students are the ones who lose. If you make this curriculum into some sort of, you know plat- political party contest where folks are fighting over, you know what part of our history are we not going to talk about today, then students come out uninformed. Um, and that's not to say we can't have a conversation about, you know, what we emphasize, what we don't—I—that's I, how curriculums work. We we discuss what we teach, what has the most relevance to students, um, and that's important. And I welcome that discussion. But um, and, and and you know, to move move on even beyond curriculum, I just broadly believe when you have governors, members of Congress inserting themselves into the classroom, trying to you know make a political name for themselves by grandstanding on top of kids, um, it's uh, it's embarrassing and it should mm-hmm. stop.
3: I want us to kind of think bigger picture. So, what are your hopes for the future of public education in general, given everything we've talked about? How can we reimagine a system that is more supportive, safe, nurturing, and academically challenging for all? Um, students, teachers, admin, and support staff.
4: Sure, I mean, I look at this from a policy lens because uh, that's kind of my thing. I um, I'd, I'd probably begin by saying we need a universal pre-K system for three and four-year-olds. Uh, we need to prepare kids who are coming into kindergarten, who are reading, um, you know, they're, uh, and they're smart and they're ready to take on the challenges of the K through 12 system. Um, I would look broadly at, you know, high school, making sure that kids are, you know, in that junior senior year are, get, are doing things they like to do, are getting ready for the career field that they want to pursue, getting ready for the college experience they want to pursue. Um, and beyond that, having a we've had a, a real you know revolution you know uh, uh, getting degrees in you know computer science, engineering, all that. What does it mean for a kid who you know maybe wants to go into the trades, maybe wants to be uh, an, a, you know a, a, a plumber, maybe wants to work on a factory line? We want to make sure that that kid can mm-hmm. pursue that career too. Mm-hmm. So that means ensuring that you know we have a school system that makes it easier for kids to pursue that kind of stuff.
3: Josh, how about you? How would you how would you think big on
2: this? It's it's a tough job. And I think that we read headlines and we make judgments. And I, I think if we're gonna reimagine who we are and we see the potential in our kids and what is coming through partnerships, I think the greatest teacher is is our families, our parents, our grandparents that are teaching for that two-thirds of that time. Um, and we're just gonna have to keep on working at it. I don't think we're broken, and I think it's very important that we recognize that our kids aren't broken; they're developing. If I ask folks, "Do you believe everybody learns at the same rate on the same time?" Well, no. I mean, if you've ever raised a child and you have multiple children in your house, you realize, "Wait a second, I have <laughs> three of you, and you're all different." And you, I know that you came from the same people, and how does that work? And so, I also know what it's at stake for a family when they feel like this is my baby; I've got to have the absolute best. And we have to be a little bit patient and try to seek understanding first, which we're trying to teach our kids. Um, Be a little empathetic. Um, The work that Brooke described for folks would say, most of it folks would say, oh my gosh, yeah, just do that. Mm. That's a master teacher at work with lots of trial and error. Planning an individual lesson plan with all the standards is hours for just one day.
3: Yeah. Uh, Brooke, how, how would you reimagine the role of a teacher? But take the question anywhere you want. really.
1: Okay. <laughs> I think it's really about creating those partnerships. And I think, um, you know, we really want, we've talked a lot about having students be college and career ready, but I also think it's really about being community ready. And I think it's really about understanding the unique um, communities that each of us teach in and each of us live in. And so how are we really um, partnering with our community partners, how are we partnering um, across um, faculty, not just educators, but with our um, amazing um, classified staff, everyone, and mm-hmm. so it's really about, um, I think, shifting to from this hierarchy to a partnership. I think it's really about um, giving folks a, a seat at the table that haven't had one, um, and I think it's listening. I think it's listening to teachers um, because, Every content area, educators are different, and so I don't think there's one um, magic thing that you're like, and now everyone's good. (laughs) And so I think it's really about listening to what teachers need because they are um, the voice for the kids.
3: All right, well, with that, I really want to thank you all for your time today. yeah and and i'm sorry to say we are out of time (laughs) (laughs) Uh, thank you so much uh to Pavin, brooke and josh for joining us tonight and giving us a glimpse into this incredibly important and very timely uh, topic so civic cocktail will return on october 12th when we will dig into the upcoming election and take a look at an issue that doesn't often get a lot of attention disability rights you can find out more at crosscut.com events Thanks everyone, thanks again to you three and to everyone tuning in, and good night.
0: This episode of the Civic Cocktail podcast was produced by Mark Baumgarten. The live event was produced by Jake Newman and Andrea Omira. There's also a video version of Civic Cocktail. The monthly event is streamed live, broadcast on KCTS 9 and available on demand at kcts9.org and through most streaming platforms. The executive producer of CrossCut Podcasts is Mark Baumgarten, and the executive editor of CrossCut is M. David Lee III. If you'd like to attend the next taping of Civic Cocktail or any of CrossCut's other events, go to crosscut.com slash events. You can subscribe to the Civic Cocktail Podcast wherever you listen. And if you'd like to support the work we do at CrossCut, whether it's the live events we put on every month or the journalism we deliver every day, go to CrossCut.com slash membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to on-demand programming from KCTS 9, Seattle's PBS station. For more on Civic Cocktail and other CrossCut podcasts, go to CrossCut.com slash podcasts. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit CrossCut.com. Civic Cocktail is a product of Cascade Public Media and Seattle City Club. We'll be back next month with another conversation.